Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel. Welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talks, a podcast that is designed to make millionaires by talking about how to make money, how to keep it, how to invest it, and why use a wealth team to really be part of that strategy. And on a regular basis, I bring extraordinary people. I actually met Dr. Jan Patel, who works with a medical management group, does a lot of surgical centers. So we're going to learn a lot from him today about how doctors can become not only really successful and really, really successful. And uh, we're just going to have a big conversation. And if you're out there and you're not a doctor, you're not in the medical or health industry, you're still going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot. He's just a great businessman. I met him actually on an airplane. My husband has this fun theory that if I just flew around in first class, I'd meet all the people I need to know in my life. So <laughs> Dr. Jaden, uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here with me. Thank you, Laurel. Appreciate the invite. So talk about the biggest risk to physicians' personal wealth. You know, um, I work a lot, you know, with professional athletes, uh, very you know, high income earners, and physicians are always targeted by syndications and a variety of just investments. And, you know, I, I hear the stories of them being taken advantage of. What do you think the biggest risk is? You know, a lot of people surround physicians to give them the wrong narrative and tell them they're bad business people. In fact, physicians win every day. They've won for the last 10, 15 years of their education, and there's no reason why they can't win at work, at their own practice. And everyone feeds them that malpractice is your biggest risk and that you're going to lose all your money or you could potentially lose your money or your house to malpractice. If you ask most physicians, they've nearly never met a doctor who's left who's lost all their wealth or lost their personal house to a malpractice lawsuit. In fact, the number one risk to a physician, man or woman, is divorce. And like every American, it's uh, 50% of everything you own is exposed. So if you don't have a plan for that life event that can very much happen to a high-stress individual, um, then you may be prepared to lose. What's the second risk? The second risk is taxes. You talk about this every day on your podcasts and it's as real for those high income earners. If you don't plan for the difference between capital gains tax and income tax and long-term versus short-term, then you are not mitigating as an entrepreneur those losses that are coming on every year. So what fears do physicians have when venturing into start a practice? I mean, and before you answer that, how many hours are you actually trained to be an entrepreneur during medical Zero. Right. Zero. Um, Doctors aren't educated in contracting. They're not educated in uh, entrepreneurship or taxation, yet they're thrown into the world of complex corporate medicine. And so what should they be thinking about? You know, as they're venturing into a practice, do they remain independent? Um, I know just having coached several medical practices where their configuration of the core corporation and how they're paid large salaries, like me and my team of experts usually dismantle them and put it back together. So the tax strategy actually leads 
versus just ease, right? The ease of That's operation. That's right. You know, the, the word they need to learn, physicians, is assignment. So the first thing that any employer or insurance company will do is ask the doctor, assign their income to someone else. So in every aspect of our life, we never assign our money and wealth to anyone else. But yet here, doctors go to work every day and assign their income to somebody else. They're not in control of the delivery of the money when they give a service. So it's like going to the supermarket and at the tellers, no one knows the prices. No one knows who's paying for what. No one even knows what's in the bag. So physicians, when they go out, the number one thing they need to do is understand they're going to be most successful by being independent. And no one is going to watch your shop like the shopkeeper. So in deciding to be independent and then contract to others, what are a few other steps for them to think about? And, and I, I'm, I'm loving this conversation because I'm actually working with a whole group of uh, really brain surgeons, brain uh, clinics uh, around this conversation. So I love your answers to this. So there are lots of pitfalls to physicians early on. You know, if you're not watching your contracts, there are a lot of potholes where you can get involved in lawsuits because you didn't pay a headhunter or you had a, a staff member who you promised something and it didn't pan out. So don't rush into things. Don't feel that you're desperate to get other people's help, sign contracts which bind you to things early on in your career. Feel it's okay to be idle. You've worked so hard through medical school, to residency, to maybe fellowships, and now you're put out in the world and it's a bit quiet. Enjoy that quietness <laughs> and take that time to be good and learn at, what you, uh, at whatever you're embarking on. You know, smell the roses at that time and don't feel you have to be busy to make money. In fact, you can either work or you can make money. And so when you work, be smart about it. Put other things to work based on your degree, not just your hands and mind. So take the time to understand what passive, true passive income for a physician is. It's not your active role. The day you stop working as a physician, your income stops. So you have to find passive ways to earn income. And there are so many laws around these things. You can't own, you may not be able to own and operate a hospital, but you can a surgery center and there's a safe harbor regulation around it. Understand what that means. Understand what Stark 1, Stark 2, and anti-kickback laws mean. Don't just hear it from someone. Pick up a book and read the law yourself so you understand it. Don't get into the crosshairs with the law because the law is quite plain. You don't need a lawyer for it. You can learn it on your own by reading it. And since you didn't get taught that in school, it behooves you to understand it yourself. So learn Stark, learn anti-kickback statutes, and learn what safe harbor regulations are. And then if you're a surgeon, seek out someone to find and help you do a turnkey surgery center because it will keep you independent. And is that really the best investment? Um, I know that you're heavily involved in them, but do you see that as one of the best investments for surgeons today? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what specialty you are in, you should absolutely try and get a surgery center ownership, a majority interest without a corporate partner, without a hospital partner, and you should absolutely invest in yourself. As a physician, you should always invest in yourself because you, can, you have full control over that asset, full control over your schedule and what you do and what you uh, need in terms of expenses, staffing, other overhead and materials that you use 
in those centers. And you're very proud of it. It's, you, you're so independent and you have your whole schedule. It is so rewarding at the end of the day because every drop of sweat you put into it, you're putting into your own business. And it's not one of those things where you put all your eggs in one basket because it's one of those gifts that can keep giving. It has some pitfalls, but it is way less risky than doing other things in your life. And the surgery center income is so high compared to other passive incomes that physicians can enjoy that it's a no-brainer. So find a partner who's going to get you there and spend time learning that industry. So what are some of the general laws uh, and the legality around this kind of a venture? Right. So you have to decide early on whether you want to take government payers like Medicare or you don't, and whether you're going to contract with insurance companies or not, or if you are, which ones. And once you do that, you can uh, focus on the laws. With regard to Medicare, it's the same as you have with your clinic. There's Stark 1, Stark 2, and anti-kickback statutes. Those are quite simple. You know, you're not being able to be remunerated for certain things that you do when you have a self-referral, except when the government gives you a safe harbor out. That safe harbor out is very unique to surgery centers. And there's an in-office exception and there's an ASC exception. And you can read about it very simply. It's in the register. It's in the federal register. And anyone can go and read these. And they're very simple. But it really protects a physician by saying, hey, you can use public funds and refer to yourself if you're an owner, as long as you let the public know that it's yours. And that's done by posting in your lobby and also letting the, in, the patient know on their consent. And most patients do not care that you're invested in your own center because they actually like it. They know you have full control over their experience. Well, and they also know that you're just not, you know, touching and going. You're going to be there if anything happens. You're there for the long haul. It's, it's, it's really a committed investment in, in their entire health. I mean, I, Absolutely. I was that's a solid, uh, like you said, like they enjoy it. They're like, okay, good. He's committed. He's got my right. back. He, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. And uh, he's interested in my outcome and that nothing bad happens at his own center. That's true. And what's the biggest hurdle that doctors face, you know, in opening, whether it's an ambulatory uh, procedure center or something like that? I mean, how do they- Stick a shock. Sticker yeah, shock. How do they begin, right? That's probably a bigger question. It's get over the sticker shock, right? That's your <laughs> first hurdle and biggest hurdle. It's expensive, but so are many things, right? Like what? If you don't take big risks, then you don't get big rewards. What's the sticker shock? So give us a, a rough number. It doesn't have to be exact. You know, it, a surgery center can start at 300 to $450 a square foot. While that's easy for people to live in certain parts of the country, for some, some people in, in rural America, that's expensive once you've purchased the land. And then there's the equipment cost. So a single physician with a small OR uh, or two ORs, operating rooms and procedure rooms can spend anywhere between three and $6 million. But um, the earning potential for that physician is extremely high. Well, and I'm sure those are very, I'm going to say easy to finance, but they're financeable. because Very of- financeable. And there's no better time than now because money is cheap. Yeah. So in your careers, there will unlikely be this kind of period again where um, borrowing costs are so low. Well, and wouldn't you agree to like, I having met you and I know several other surgeons, like I'm interested in this. So how, 
could surgeons, right? Let's just encourage that. Find people even in their community, right? I'm, you know, crowdfunding is a big deal. Cool. Absolutely. Crowdfunding is a great option. But even in your community, the brick and mortar is not the biggest part of your investment. The brick and mortar can be financed and operated by people like you and your network. And that's very good because you don't have that much outlay. And the brick and mortar isn't what makes the most money. It's the operating company. And that's what you would really want control of as a physician. And that's what in the long run you have an exit strategy with. So isn't it true that you can actually, and probably smart, pull those apart, like from a, from a structure where you have the land, you could have the building and you could have the, the operating, the surgical center and be three businesses and three different investor groups if you really wanted to pull it apart? You really do want that. Because in the physician operating company, you only want physicians who perform there. You don't want uh, passiving um, investors. You don't want individuals who don't bring cases to your center or in no way participate as investors because the income is coming through there. But that's the tricky part about having physicians who are really going to actively participate there all the time. Now, it's important to have good business coaches. So if there are good business people and they're going to bring other values like management and actively work on your HR, hire good nurses, hire good techs, help you pick good equipment, they're worth their, their weight in salt because they're going to reduce your overhead and they're going to improve your bottom line. And those individuals are allowed to come into the operating uh, company, not just the real estate portion. And so that partner is a bit more difficult and challenging to pick but you can take your time doing that. I love this. So what's the future hold? I mean, let's talk about big hospitals, big pharma, big Medicare, because I, I have a feeling I know your answer, but what are you seeing in this arena and how this is going to unfold in the next, say, five, 10 years? Take the picture a little higher. We're spending more money than any industrial country and our longevity is curtailed significantly. We're not doing as well as Scandinavia or Japan. So we're spending more money and we're not living longer. So whatever this formula we've been doing for the last 20 years and we've been sort of coerced into <laughs> is not working, right? So as an employer-based health system where the employers are giving you health insurance and you have a, a certain insurance card in your pocket and you feel safe is really not good for us, right? It hasn't worked as taxpayers. It hasn't worked for us as Americans. And as we become more elderly and seek healthcare of our own, we're, we're walking into a, a bad place. So there needs to be somewhat of an overhaul and it will come because as Americans, we're very good and we're very resilient and we recognize these problems and we uh, call out um, bullshit when we see it. And I think the younger generation is saying during this major resignation that the benefits we're getting really aren't benefits and I'm, not, I'm no longer going to pay into this anymore. And taxpayers want results as well. So what's happening is we're reducing our reliance on big hospitals and we're moving things as outpatient because that's where it needs to live. It's safer, it's better, it's cheaper. The doctors have control again and they can do a really, really good job. And you can go home neck the same day after having a knee replacement or a hip replacement or even a cardiac procedure today. You can have an outpatient. And we've been fed this story that everything needs to happen in a big tertiary care center and eat their bad food, that's just not true. <laughs> and, um, and so the world is changing and healthcare is changing in America where surgery centers are going to enjoy 
this 40-50% volume increase. So anyone in, invested in these surgery centers around the country are, um, are going to do well. Mm. So we talked about some of the capital that they need. What are some of the other challenges just in opening? Like talk about local jurisdictions, zoning, um, those kind of issues. What are some, some of those as you kind yes. of some states have certificates of need, so you can easily look that up. And certificates of need are not that difficult to come by. It just takes a little longer. It takes a little money. But those states like Texas and Oklahoma, which have no certificate of, uh, certificates of need, California, it's really easy to just start and look up on your state health department's website what the requirements are and get going and understanding that. But the biggest challenging pe- challenges that people face are staffing. Human resource issues are a problem throughout America right now, recruiting that employee between $15 and $25 an hour is very challenging. And it's even bleeding into phlebotomists, LPNs, nurses, and other ancillary staff. There's a massive shortage of these individuals in America and massive individual, a massive shortage of anesthesiologists too. Why is that? Because I, I, I want a deeper thought from you on that because I look at so many industries. I mean, the trades industries from uh, all the construction work that we're doing in different you know, parts of the country and it's everywhere, but, but deepen your thought on why you think that's true today. I, I had to do a, a bank wire yesterday and uh, my colleague had to do move some money. And we went through four branches in Dallas and every branch of a very major bank were closed, permanently closed. And that's a bad sign. And their excuse on the window is, we don't have staff. We don't have tellers. And, and that's daunting. And why that is, in our opinion, is people are listening to these stories they're hearing, like you've been saying, is that we want to pay into taxes, but we're not happy with what our government is doing with those taxes. So I don't want to participate in it. And we know this corporate America. You may give us a higher wage, but we've known, we know how you've treated us for the last five, 10 years. You really don't care about us. And so I'm going to go out there and wait for something better. And now the, the government's given me that opportunity to wait because I'm getting free paychecks on unemployment. The benefits <laughs> I have been, I've been promised aren't really benefits. My 401 may or may not perform. I don't have that much money in it. The health benefit plan I was getting or dental plan isn't really a benefit. It, it actually hurts my health. And, and the insurance companies that were told that they're going to be a liaison between physicians, hospitals, and the cost of care and me, they're really not caring about that. They're in it for themselves. They want to feed their shareholders, not the interest of the little guy and the individual whose health is at stake. So... Those aren't true benefits, they're pipe dreams, they're castles in the sky. And so individuals are feeling cash flush. They haven't had to pay student loans. They have uh, deferred car payments. They haven't had to pay rent, no evictions. Mortgages are deferred and they're getting free paychecks and they want to get a go at running their own business or maybe some B2B trading or maybe sell something on Amazon, make money on the side, all these things. And then also people have enjoyed time at home with their kids. And they kind of like that or not commuting. And so all these are factored into Americans not wanting to go back to the workplace in hordes. Yep. 
yeah. And it's going to affect, uh, it is, I mean, you know, very involved in construction and development. It's affecting the housing and the disbursement of uh, workers. Um, back to the physician uh, conversation. Is there a one-stop shop for the doctors uh, where they can get some turnkey advice in these surgery centers and the management of them? Yeah, there's some good groups out there. We run a group called Maya Medical Management. Uh, Dr. Merchandani and myself, uh, we run uh, a, a turnkey operation where we can bring financing, we can bring equipment, we bring doctors, we bring the staff, we bring uh, advice on where to purchase the land, which contractors to use, which architects to use. We have local knowledge and we've built a, a lot of them and we've managed a lot of them. We continue to do it. Uh, we do their revenue cycle management for insurances. Uh, we offshore some of their platforms like scheduling and authorization around the world. So you're not so reliant on a diminishing labor force here locally in America of jobs that people don't even want to do here, but other people are happy to do. So we outsource a lot of that internally. We have uh, teams in India, in the Philippines, in Panama, in Kenya, who help doctors uh, get this going. That's oh, brilliant, brilliant. So should they have corporate partners? Absolutely not. Because, you know, we talked earlier about having a non-producing partner. Why would you have a partner in a grocery store who shops at another local market rather than yours? The same way, why would you have a partner that does not bring cases to you? Now, a lot of hospitals say we have patients. Historically, that's never worked out for doctors. The, the hospitals are just too big. They never are focused on your practice and they never funnel practices, patients your way. And the other is that they have uh, dominion over better contracts. And that's not true either. You don't need a good contract with an insurance company to do well. You just need to have good billing services because you, you don't have to contract with everyone. We don't contract with people all over the world. And we have transactions every day and you should just operate that way because insurance companies also have laws they need to abide by and they have bad faith as well. So you just need to understand that. So talk about well, the partnerships and actually bringing cases. Um, is there extra marketing or just a relationship, you know, capital to bring more and more cases and having more doctors and surgeons use your center, even though they may not be uh, an op? An actual owner? Most entrepreneurial doctors already have that. They're already doing it, but they're taking those cases to hospitals or they're give, giving those revenues to other people that doesn't benefit them. It benefits the, uh, their own competitor. The hospital systems get bigger, the corporate partners and venture capitalists get bigger, and the doctor gets fed up and burnt out. And then it takes an event like a pandemic to really burn you down. So it's better you invest in yourself. It's better you do it yourself. It's a slower path, but it's the right path. And it's extremely rewarding. And at the end of the day, every one of those physicians we work with will say, I wouldn't have done it any other way. I've tried the other corporate partner ways and it hasn't worked for me. What about joint venturing with the hospital? I would say they'd see you as competition and that's probably a no. That's the only reason they want you in. They are not doctors. They can't perform medicine you should stay away from hospitals. And the day doctors leave hospitals is their happiest days. <laughs> so a question, you know, it's so, so interesting because uh, I'm going to ask you this question, but in most cases, I'm going to say, if you build it, I guarantee they won't come. 
because I work with so many people who want to build it and then just sit back and say they're coming, but they don't do any marketing. So if surgeons jump in, yeah, and whether they work with your company or others, they build it. Will will patients come? Will other doctors and surgeons come to use and operate? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, we're very That's few so doctors different. in America. There are very few doctors in America compared to the need. And as we have a baby boomer aging population, there are hips and knees and back pain to be addressed. And that's going to be done by a limited number of doctors as some of the, our specialists also retire and are not being replaced uh, quickly and inefficiently. So you don't even need to market yourself. With time, your practice will be robust and full. You want to spend that money, not just marketing. You want to spend your time becoming the best kind of doctor you can and being extremely technically sound. Your name uh, through word of mouth and social media can be spread pretty quickly. So JP, uh, any final words to our audience? Those of you that are listening, if you want to uh, make a request, ask a question, go to asklaurel.com, A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L.com and you can put in your name, your phone number, make a request and we will direct that on. You can ask any question there as well. Anything you'd like to uh, just say or... I just like to tell young doctors, really, truly invest in yourself. This is a great venture for you. Ambulatory surgery centers or being entrepreneurial in your own practice is extremely financially sound. It's not going away. There's no headwind. You're going to do very well. Continue to invest in yourself and be the best doctor you can for your community, for your, um, the, the patients you see every day. And you're never going to fail. It's never going to happen. All the badness that you're taught is coming mm. from someone who has an ulterior motive. Mm. Well, I so appreciate your insights and uh, I look forward to uh, not only more conversations, but some uh, activity with you. I think we're, we're going to do some great things and uh, look forward to that. So I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Laurel. This has been great. Thank you. And again, those okay. of you, thank you. Those of you day. listening, you too. Appreciate you. Those of you listening, you're listening to Laurel's Real Money Talks, a podcast that goes out every Friday morning. So make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast outlet that you want to listen to. iTunes is usually the top stitcher, a few others. And uh, stay tuned every Friday morning and get a notification put on your phone so you can be notified when our broadcasts go out. And I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about what you want at asklaurel.com. Talk next week. So this is Laurel and you've been listening to my podcast. If you've enjoyed this, I have a couple things you can do that are completely up to you. Number one, take my quiz. Go to integratedwealthsystems.com and take the quiz. You will find that there's one of four personalities, financial personalities we call them, that you're going to fall into. So as you take the quiz, it'll actually go through and identify are you you know, uh, in stagnant cash flow, right? Are you overpaying taxes? Do you have debt issues? You know, are you a lifestyle junkie? Where are you? And then from there, it goes to a video that actually gives you some solutions on how to correct that problem. So again, go to integratedwealthsystems.com, take my quiz, and we'll go from there. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? 
Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth-building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.